That's right. The Kansas City Chiefs with a big, big win on Sunday. Came with a little bit of controversy, but hey, that's okay. Because the team on the other side has had a lot of that. So, hey, uh, I guess uh, it happens to everyone, right? Exactly. Welcome into the Chiefs on Podcast. My name is Farzine Vesugian. Zach Stegna here with me as well as DJ Evans. Got a really fun show for you. Obviously going to be recapping the big win in Foxborough over the Patriots. Also going to be previewing a big rival in the Denver Broncos, Drew Locke, former Lee Summit native, or still, I mean, technically Lee Summit born, Lee Summit native, whatnot. Uh, He'll be coming back to Kansas City as the Broncos have got the hot hand lately. We'll talk about that. We'll read your text messages and also at the end of the podcast, very, very excited to have former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio. He is going to be on the podcast. Uh, A lot to get into with Joe, his playing career. Also got into journalism a little bit, what he's been up to since he has retired from football and also his thoughts on this Chiefs football team and can Andy Reid prove the critics wrong? We'll ask Joe that question. A lot of things. Very excited to have Joe Valerio on the podcast. As I mentioned... Uh, later on in the podcast. Uh, Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. That's the Facebook page. Give it a like. Follow me on Facebook. You can follow the three of us on Twitter at Farzine21. Zach is at Z Steginga. And DJ is at Chiefs Fan Shy. You can subscribe to the podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean. And you can text the podcast 913-808-2119. And as I promised, we'll read a couple of your texts and before uh, we, get, we bring in Joe Valerio on the podcast. But like I said, each and every week, joining me, Zach and DJ. Zach all the way in New York City and DJ in Chicago. Gentlemen, that was a good game. It absolutely was. And, you know, anytime you could beat the Patriots is always great. But to do it in Foxborough was just a little bit sweeter this time. Yeah, I mean, we, uh,. <laughs> I was a little worried going into that game because that streak of 21 games in a row of them not losing, so over, what, what, two and a half years. But, you know, the defense showed out. The offense, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later, was not what we expected, but it's a good win. They did and enough. To beat, and to beat that, yeah, and to beat them there is impressive. Yeah, a lot to get into. Uh, and let's get right into it. Uh We'll get into the offense and Andy Reid because I know a lot. The the big story. I mean, everyone's enjoying the win. But there are a few people mentioning the offense and, and and the play calling, and that's certainly understandable. I know I've made my stance clear on that, but look, come on, you just won in Foxborough. I, I mean, would you rather lose and discuss those uh, incidents in the second half, or especially in the fourth quarter? Uh, and I get this was not the most ideal way to win, but hey, look, uh, it's always better to win ugly then uh, lose pretty, of course, or just lose at all. Uh, in fact, let's get into it. As I mentioned, the Chiefs actually got off to a really rough start. They had the two penalties on defense. One of them was a questionable one, but at the end of the day, it gave the Patriots two first downs, and more importantly, the Patriots came away with a big touchdown pass uh, from Brady. And I don't remember who this was to. Do you guys remember who he threw the um, touchdown pass to, the, the first touchdown of the game? I think it was Edelman. Was it Edelman? Okay, I can't remember who it was, too. Uh, see, I think uh, Edelman not that was has... the only one who really made a statistical impact, so I assume yeah, it, was sure him, it was him, but now you got yeah. me questioning. Well, I mean, regardless, it's not too relevant, but uh, the Patriots did draw first blood in this game, and then things got really interesting. A lot of, And I'm following social media as this is happening. A lot of people are pessimistic at this point. Next thing you know, 
the Chiefs score 20 unanswered points. You know, that, that second quarter has been that magical quarter. The Chiefs have dominated that quarter. In fact, it's been the best quarter by any team in any quarter in the NFL this season. Uh, trailed 7 nothing, and then you score 20 unanswered points, and... To the point where you have Pats fans booing their team as they're heading to the locker room. And by the way, you know, Patriots fans saying, oh no, we were booing the referees. Uh, there were no bad calls, at least for New England side uh, at that point. And I'll get into the controversy because I know that's been a big part of this game. But uh, as far as the game itself, the Kansas City offense picked up right where it left off in the second half. Got a field goal on the opening drive. But that's where things got really interesting. Uh, the Chiefs did get the ball back and... In fact, uh, it was pretty quick. New England blocked a punt. Apparently, Andy Reid said it was supposed to be a fake punt. Uh, I'll let you guys uh, be the judge on that. Quick touchdown score, but the defense stood strong on that two-point attempt, which was huge. Then you had Kelsey's fumble, which was all sorts of crazy there. Uh, given the complaint about Stephon Gilmore and, and, you know, could he have scored or was Tyreek Hill in the way? Uh, but nonetheless, New England did get the football back, and they were able to get a field goal out of that. But again, more controversy on that drive as well because of what happened there. Uh, but nonetheless, Kansas City still held its ground, uh, allowing just a uh, field goal, uh, even though Nikhil Harry should have been awarded that touchdown. I know there was an illegal block in the back, you know, neither here nor there. Uh, but either way, the Chiefs hold them to three, even though they were at the three-yard line. Now, the defense slipped a little bit in the end when Brady ran for a first down, but they recovered right after that and basically shut down the Patriots on four consecutive plays and came away with a big win. And not only that, the Raiders destroyed by the Titans. So this allowed the Chiefs to not just win the AFC West for four straight years, but they locked it up with three games left to go in the regular season. So the Chiefs already clinch a playoff spot, already win the AFC West with three games to go. Now, still some work to be done with the offense and still some work to be done in the standings. The good news is, even though you're at a three seed and you don't have a bye week right now locked up, the two teams above you right now, the Ravens and the Patriots, you do have wins over those teams. So if it comes to a tiebreaker situation with one of those teams for a bye week in the postseason, Kansas City's got the edge there. But let's get into the defense, guys. Let's start there because... I never thought this defense would have been able to do this. Before the season, I was optimistic. As the season went on, I had a lot of concerns about this defense. But they really showed up. And I understand Brady, he's he's not the old Tom Brady that we're used to seeing. But look, at this point, we got to start giving credit. Because they have played three great football games. And in a couple of them where the Chiefs, the, the, the Chargers Monday night game in Mexico, and this game where the offense really went silent in the second half, this defense found a way to come through. And I understand Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's been slipping lately, uh, but he's carried the offense many times in the, or excuse me, the defense in the past. Now it's the other way around where the defense is out there winning you football games and they're kind of picking up the slack for the offense. You allowed 16 points against the Patriots in Foxborough. Like, that doesn't happen often. I know the Cowboys held them to 13, but they lost that football game. The Chiefs managed to come away with the win and holding him to below 20 points. Uh, again, I know there was a lot of controversy, but this entire defense has been playing better. Tyron Matthews has been playing better. Frank Clark has been playing way better. This is this is the guy, this is the guy that earns $105 million. Uh, this entire defense has improved quite a lot, and you got to give Steve Spagnuolo a lot of credit for this, Zach. Absolutely, you do. But I think you know, even more importantly, I mean, obviously the the two big offseason acquisitions, you know, 
have made tremendous impacts. I don't mean to discount that by any stretch, but uh, you know, we got to hand some to the uh, you know, especially the guys on the interior of that defensive line. Both Chris Jones, obviously being the disruptive force that he always is, but uh, you know, I got to give some props to a guy who I have maligned pretty heavily earlier in the year, being Derek Naughty. Uh, you know, while I definitely got after him, especially during the uh, you know podcasts after the Colts and Texans games. He has stepped it up in a big way in seeing Colin Saunders start to come in and contribute on the interior of the defensive line. All of a sudden, a you know, position that I was starting to get nervous about uh, is starting to look a little bit more like a strength than a weakness. And so uh, really impressed with some of the play I've seen out of them. Yeah, I mean, it, Frank Clark, you mentioned, uh, Farzine, you know, I looked at uh, was at the airport um on uh, Monday about to leave Arizona, I was looking at <clears throat> the stats between uh, D Ford and Frank Clark because a lot of people want to compare those two and rightly so because we essentially traded D Ford for Frank Clark and gave up some draft compensation. So looking at them, uh, essentially the same sacks, Frank Clark has six sacks, D Ford has six and a half sacks. Uh, they've played the same amount of games, 11 games. They've both been injured at times this year. Uh, Frank Clark is, I think, three force fumbles, two force fumbles for D Ford, uh, one fumble recovery for Frank Clark, zero for D Ford, more pressures by Frank Clark. And the biggest thing that stands out for me um, when you look at Frank Clark versus D Ford is Frank Clark's ability to play the run. And he showed that in the game against the Patriots because he had two tackles for a loss that were really impressive that D Ford would not have made. Uh, and I've never seen him make as a chief. Um, so Frank Clark is a better player than D Ford. I thought that when we got him, uh, of course, I was a little worried early in the season. Obviously, he's been hurt. He's had a significant injury. But I was impressed by his performance, and it was a huge performance. But Chris Jones was the star of that defense. I mean, it's it's not even a question. And I think it also goes yeah, to show it, that uh, you know, it takes time to implement the new defense. I mean, bringing in Steve Spagnola uh, and the uh, massive change, not only just from obviously the schematic perspective, making the jump from the three four to the four three, but just all of the different ways that uh, his scheme operates and where they bring pressure from and things like that. I think you know, just the massive shift there from Bob Sutton's defense to Steve Spagnolo's. Uh, I think that you know, we're starting to see that you know it's starting to click a little bit. Uh, and, you know, realistically, not only has the defense been able to string together, you know, a few really good performances here, but, you know, they've continued to build on it week after week after week. Uh, and it looks like this defense is going to be peaking at the right time. Yeah, that's a very important point. I'm glad you mentioned that because look at December. Everyone's fighting for a playoff spot right now. And this is the toughest month of the season because, you know, even you know, even if you're not playing for a playoff spot, there are a lot of teams out there, a lot of players, a lot of coaches that their jobs are on the line. So they're fighting tooth and nail to make sure that, you know, they're able to stick around with the team that they're with for the following season. So this is a very tough month for all 32 teams, not just the playoff teams out there. You know, I think that's something important to note. And this Chiefs defense, as you mentioned, Zach, peaking at the right time. Uh, and, you know, are these the most challenging offenses you're going up against lately? No, certainly not. But they're no cakewalks either. Uh, no, I mean, even the worst team in the NFL, never easy to beat them the way you do. Uh, say what you want about the Raiders, but 
putting up 40 points against a division rival when you know it's going to be intense. Uh, never easy. It's never easy, to say the least. So, got to give a lot of props to this Kansas City defense. And look, I know it's special teams too, but a lot of the guys when it comes to uh, blocking field goals, I mean, you've got a lot of your defensive players there. Uh, you you got to know Passigno going out there, preventing three points on the scoreboard. Um, you know, if he doesn't do that in this Foxborough game, maybe we have a bit of a different ending. And, and, and maybe New England's able to change their strategy a little bit in the second half. Even as, it's again, it's just three points, but something that small can really help change momentum or just change your approach uh, on offense uh, f- from the rest of the game. Uh, so it's good to see everyone on defense contributing in such a big manner. Because it has really helped this team. Now, switching over to the offensive side, yikes. I mean, let's be honest. I know it's not living up to our standards. Uh, Mahomes, 60 of 101 and averaging 213 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks in the last three games. Obviously, those are not Mahomes-esque numbers. They're not terrible by any means, but again, they're not uh, what we're used to seeing from Mahomes. And I understand, you know, a lot of people want to criticize the offense for not doing well, and I certainly understand that. I know I've said that as well, and, and you know Andy Reid's kind of struggled three of the last four games shutting them out in proper ways, but you're still winning more times than not. Uh, it is kind of weird how in the Tennessee game, Mahomes went off for a big game, but in these last three games that you've won, it's when Mahomes has struggled. Kind of, I don't know why, but we just have this weird imbalance ever since Andy Reid's gotten here. The offense is great and the defense isn't, or the defense is great. And the offense isn't. I don't know if I can recall one game, or at least maybe a couple of games, where uh, both sides have dominated. And that's kind of been frustrating under Andy Reid. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, I know that's a little off topic. I digress. As far as the offense goes, look, I thought they were going to snap out of this funk in this game. But DJ, you know, at, at some point, you've got to... You've got to see this offense pick it up. Like I, like Zach said, the defense is picking at the right time, but the offense has got to start getting there too. I think we will. So, you know, I looked at the last four games, and the biggest problem I had with play calling and the way that the game ended was, of course, Tennessee. You know, I looked at the Chargers game. You've got um, a bad field, uh, admittedly, uh, and Tyreek Hill was out for most of that game. Mahomes is still kind of, you know, Second game back from injury. The Raiders game, forty. I was out there, 40-mile-per-hour wind gusts. Uh, not ideal situation or conditions for uh, throwing the football. And then, you know, against the Patriots, he got hurt early in the game. And I think Andy, and rightly so, became conservative as long as they had the lead. You know, I wonder, had the Patriots gotten that touchdown, which, you know, you brought up, the legal block in the back. I also think that Edelman could have gotten called for a hold uh, because if you look at a screenshot of it, he's grabbing uh, Tyron Matthews jersey and pulling him away from Harry. So that could have potentially, in quotes, helped uh, Harry break free. But, you know, then again, they had first and uh, goal at the three-yard line. You have to punch the ball in it at that point. And let's say that they did. It still doesn't mean that uh, they were going to win the game. Um, maybe the play calling isn't as conservative as it was um, being up three as opposed to seven. So it's a little concerning about the offense. 
there's been so much going on with injuries and, uh, you know, with Mahomes and other people being out. I, I'm hoping that they're going to gel um, and get better at, in these last three games and hopefully peak it in the playoffs, which is what we want. But it's a great sign that the defense is playing so well because it, it, it didn't help us last year that the offense was as good as it was and the defense was as bad as it was. You're usually not going to win those games. And look at the 2007 Patriots for an example. They were one of the most prolific offenses offenses of all time. And they fell short. And, you know, Randy Moss, all that, that it didn't matter. So um, positive that the defense is playing well. I think the offense will get better. Mahomes has got to get healthy. I mean, I absolutely hear the criticisms there on the offensive side of the ball. And one thing that I did want to mention is that realistically, I, I think that, you know, while Andy certainly bears some level of culpability here, I don't think that he's necessarily the biggest culprit. Um, I think that realistically, the interior offensive line play has been suspect at best. Uh, you know, we're, I mean, when Mitch Morse was in, I mean, recognizing that he always had the injury risk there, uh, you know, he was a safety blanket for Mahomes, and I think that Austin Ryder has been distinctly not that, uh, and as a result, Mahomes has had a little bit happier feet this year uh, than in years past. But I think, you know, regardless of the uh, struggles that, you know, are certainly there on the interior of the offensive line, I think that, you know, especially following this game, I think some of the concerns are a little bit more overblown when it comes to the offense, simply because we know that he got conservative and started throwing shorter routes because his hand got hurt. But, I mean, if you had told me coming into the season that, you know, Mahomes would you know, have a stat line of, you know, 283 yards and a touchdown against the Patriots defense in Foxborough, like, you know, I know that you know, it's obviously Mahomes has had, you know, a three-game stretch that's been a little bit rough, but I think it bears mentioning that he did do this against what's certainly one of the top two defenses in the entire league. Uh, I mean, you, you could certainly make a case for the 49ers as the other, but, I mean, it, it bears mentioning that, you know, this is one of the league's best defenses, and Mahomes was pretty much carving them up while healthy uh, there in the first, you know, well, I guess really in the second quarter, let's be fair. But uh, I think that, you know, I, I don't think that the whole notion of oh, Mahomes is slipping, Mahomes is slipping is something we would be talking about after this game were it not for the no. fact that the last two leading up to the Patriots game uh, weren't necessarily up to snuff. You know, if he had been, you know, say that this game comes on the heels of the Titans game, I don't think anybody's talking about Mahomes struggling at all. He threw for the, he threw for the most yards of any quarterback this year against the Patriots defense. Oh, did he really? He did. I had no idea. Yep. With a bum oh, That is insane to, to imagine. So, you know what, Patriots fans? But, you know, I think that yeah, it, it bears mentioning Mahomes is, uh, I don't think he's the problem by any stretch. Well, I'm sure, you know for a fact, Patriots fans, looking back, they definitely wish the Chiefs did not get their equipment in on time and forfeited this game. <laughs> Knowing what we know now with the officiating and how the result was, I, I don't know if I've ever heard that before, you know. Apparently, according to Matt Derrick uh, of Chiefs Digest, so uh, apparently um, the air, it's the airline's fault, not the Chiefs' fault. Adam Schefter was trying to be very vocal about this. You know, the Patriots had nothing to do with it, even though the memes all came out and they were all pretty funny <laughs> to see. 
Um, so I guess the airline just completely missed one of the big containers that had all these gigantic duffel bags. Uh, and I made a joke on, um, they were coming from New Jersey and I made this joke on Twitter and in Facebook. I said, remember in home alone one, when Kevin's mom could not find a flight back to Chicago, but she found the, uh, a group of people that, that band that helped them get back to Chicago in time for Christmas and all just so she could see her son. Uh, in fact, DJ, uh, your wife tweeted me, uh, a gif of that band, uh, from that movie, which is funny. In fact, she had a funny <laughs> gif. She had a funny gif of, uh, a car just like speeding through traffic saying, okay, this is the chief's equipment. You know, whoever's driving all that gear to Foxborough, that's, that's them right now, basically. That's funny. But, I miss that. <laughs> um, you know, it's, I had never heard that before. Apparently it had something to do with the state, uh, championship game from Massachusetts happening in Foxborough, but... I had never heard that before. Uh, I mean, it would have been the most Chiefs thing ever if they had to forfeit that game. It just would have been. The one thing, though, that, you know, obviously the jokes write themselves because it's the Patriots, but can we just, you know, appreciate for the, for a moment the fact that, you know, the Patriots are the only team in the league where people would jump to that sort of conclusion uh, and assume that, uh they probably oh. had something to do with it. Like, the Patriots yeah. have, you know... And especially now this week with the next Spygate coming out, like, you know, the Patriots have lost all benefit of the doubt when it comes to, you know, outside shenanigans affecting, you know, potential performance on the football field. And so I just think it's funny that, you know, if if this had happened, say, you know, the the luggage had gone to uh, San Diego instead of L.A. if we're going to play the Chargers, uh, poor choice of city, given that that's where they moved from. But you get my point. No one would be talking about it. Uh, I, I was texting my mom about the whole thing. I said, you know, how how scary would it be if the pilot thought the game was in Kansas City and not Foxborough and they flew all the gear back to Kansas City? Like, that would have been worse. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just, I guess, I, I not knowing all of the logistics that goes into this, I just think it's, I, I guess I was surprised to find out that all of this was traveling just on a normal commercial airline. I guess I assumed that the gear went with the players on the team charter. But, yeah, I guess these are the things that, you know, no one ever thinks about, you know, like the offensive line. No one ever worries about the logistics of getting things to the game unless it's yeah. a problem. <laughs> um, look, let me just address it because, I mean, all this bad news, you just alluded to this, you know, the Spygate and, you know, Patrick Mahomes' girlfriend who, you know, she was complaining about how she was treated by Patriots fans and they moved her. She had to be and removed, I know, yeah. You know, yeah, you know, look, I think there's a little bit more to that story that we don't know. And, and you know, her, you know, doing the na 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 na, hey, 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 goodbye to Pats fans. Uh, you know, it looks a little weird after complaining about what they did. But I digress. I, I think there's more to the story. But people want to write about it because it's Patriots fans after a loss acting that way. You got the Spygate thing. And, and, and on top of that, it's just how they got screwed over in this game. Or should I put that in quotes? Because listen. You got an interception and two fumbles. Belichick wasted his challenge flag on, I don't want to say two useless plays. It, one of them was necessary on the Kelsey fumble because they actually ruled him down. Uh, so they were able to get the ball back, and I'll get to the fumble recovery and whatnot in a moment. Uh, but the other one with Sammy Watkins on the first down, that was a stupid challenge to, to use it on. And again, you know, referees make mistakes. That's why you got to be cautious as to when you use your challenge flags and such. Um, they fooled the Chiefs on a couple of trick plays. They got away with uh, a late hit on Mahomes. Um, and uh, Bashad Breland's 
interference call early. They blocked a punt. They shut down Mahomes in the second half. The Chiefs had 10 penalties as opposed to zero the previous week. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, let's just go into those three plays. Okay, the Nikhil Harry play. As, as we mentioned, there was an illegal block in the back and a hold. But even then, you were at the three-yard line. And DJ, you said this. You were at the three-yard line. You should have found a way to put it in from three yards out. The Kendall in Fuller three plays, getting, mind you. Yes. It, the, the Kendall Fuller getting away with interference on Dorsett, uh, I thought it was a little high. But I'll be honest, as a Chiefs fan, if that was my offense, I would have been screaming for a flag. But look, Brady ran for a first down on the next play anyway on fourth down. So. Right. That's nullified. The Kelsey fumble? Okay, yeah, you got a case there, Pats fans. I'll give you that. Uh, Stephon Gilmore got the Miles Jack treatment, which, funny enough, happened against the Patriots. In the Um, AFC title uh, game, no less. Yes, exactly. But listen, I mentioned the Bashad Breland thing. That happened on a third down play early in the game. So consider this the quote-unquote makeup call. And even if, you know, Gilmore was... Being, even if they didn't call Kelsey down and they let Gilmore run it, Tyreek Hill was right there, and yes, he was blocked, but there was an offensive lineman and Patrick Mahomes in the way. Now, I don't know if Patrick Mahomes would have made a play, but there's still a, there's still two players right there in the way, so I don't think that would have resulted in a score. So, again, consider that the makeup call. Thinking about, you know, the Bashard Breland BS interference on, on a third down early in the game, that led to a touchdown drive, so... I just nullified all three of those complaints right there. I mean, am I missing anything, DJ? No, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it reminded me of last year's AFC or last season's AFC Championship game. Both the Chiefs and the Patriots fan bases on Twitter and all over were equally complaining about how bad the referees were. Same thing this past Sunday. Um, there was, you know, you mentioned the late hit on uh, Patrick Mahomes that would have absolutely been called if it was Tom Brady. Uh, yeah. You had a you had a legal uh, crack black, uh, block uh, called, I think, on Reader, which was not. Um, you yeah. had a yeah, phantom for a block in a the fant- back when he hit him in the chest. Right. You had a phantom hold called on Mitchell Schwartz, which wasn't a hold. And so, if you, you know, look at all those those penalties that should have been called or were or shouldn't have been called that could have given the chiefs more opportunities to score more points. So I always look at this, uh, this way, blaming the referees is a loser's mentality at the end of the day, unless it's the last play of the game, it's, it's on the players, it's on the team, it's on the coaching. You have to win games. You, if you're first in goal three, even though you didn't just get the touchdown, you've won six championships. Don't tell me that, oh, you've been deflated because they took that touchdown away, so now you can't score that touchdown. They just couldn't score Can the I touchdown. Say something? Yeah, go ahead. And Zach, I'll let you have the final word on this in a moment because I do want to move on. But look, I'm a big UFC fan. I've made that clear on this podcast and on social media. In in MMA, they have this saying that, that says, don't let the fight go into the hands of the judges. So if you don't knock your opponent out or submit them, within the first three rounds or five rounds, if it's a championship fight or a main event fight, uh, then the judges are the ones that are going to score the fights, and they'll determine the winner. And, you know, MMA is weird. It's just like the NFL. Um, There is bad judging in MMA, and sometimes you question the, the scoring from the judges. Do not let sporting events, whether it's, you know, in the UFC, NFL, wherever, don't let games come down to referees or judges 
pretty much deciding the impact of a game. Do something to prevent that from happening. Good football teams will find a way to overcome those kinds of things. The Patriots have done that many times, unfortunately. Yeah, and I guess the the last thing that I'll kind of say about it is that as we were discussing, you know, in our pregame podcast last week, you know, what did I say about you know the fact that Belichick uh, is not the sort of coach who routinely beats himself, and he didn't strike me as the type who would be dumb enough to, you know, try <laughs> to mix it up and you know avoid the you know what had been up to this point a pretty tried and true method of beating the Chiefs, which is to say run the ball down our throat and make us stop it. Uh, Sony Michelle got five carries. Their leading rusher was James White, uh, who had six carries for 33 yards. And, you know, uh, ultimately the Chiefs had more running attempts or rushing attempts than the uh, than the Patriots did. So uh, while I understand that Belichick is, you know, one of the greatest coaches of all time, uh, certainly by record, though I think that at this rate he's going to end up with an asterisk if there's any more shenanigans uh, like this <laughs> latest Spygate. Uh, but, you know, he and Brady have been pretty much untouchable. You know, it's, it can't be their fault. It's got to be the refs. Um, you know, okay, yeah. well, Belichick ran the ball 22 times, uh, and Brady went 19 for 36 for 169 yards. Now, don't get me wrong. I recognize that the man's 42, and his weapons are certainly not what they once were, but uh, he definitely left some throws out there. We can't pretend that he didn't. So oh, tons of them. I think that yeah. there's a lot more to be said for the Brady Belichick decline. I mean, more so Brady's decline. I don't. I mean, I don't know why Belichick would have, you know, made some of those mistakes. But hey, he did, which is good for us. So look, I'll wrap up by saying this: as a Chiefs fan, when I see Chiefs fans complaining about officiating, I always say, look, there are so many factors that lead to wins and losses that you'll hardly see me complaining about officiating. And now you're seeing Chiefs fans say the same exact thing to Patriots fans right now. And I, you know, look, I know a lot of people who will go on their Facebook or their Twitter and they'll complain when their team lost and blame the referees. It's like, really? You want to blame the refs, but, you know, your star player who didn't show up in this game or, you know, some of the coaching decisions in this game, you don't want to criticize that. You just want to go after the refs. You know, that's the easy thing to do. So, uh, Patriots fair, fans now know it. what it's like. Yeah, I mean, look, we've all done it, sure. But I think over the years, as a sports fan, I, I'd like to think I've kind of graduated from uh, from that uh, complaint system as a, as a sports fan. But nonetheless, uh, let's move on because we're going to get Joe later on here. And we still got to read some text. And uh, I really want to get into this Broncos preview and get our predictions in. Uh, Chiefs Broncos this Sunday at Arrowhead. Uh, temperature mid uh High to mid twenties, maybe a chance of snow. Not exactly sure about that yet. A little too early. They switched to tell. it. <laughs> uh, oh, they they did switch it too. Yeah, they so, said like a day ago. They said it was supposed to be one to four inches. Now they're saying no snow until uh, nighttime. Well, that's uh, meteorologists for you. They always yeah, do that kind of thing. Switch again. Uh, I, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm exactly. I'm sure they'll switch it again when you know it's the day before or something. But nonetheless, uh, Cleet Blakeman. He, uh, the last time, he's the referee for this game. The last time he officiated a Chiefs game, AFC Championship game. Uh, obviously, uh, not the most, uh, enjoyable experience, but, uh, obviously that was a highly anticipated game. Announcers for this game, Ian Eagle, Dan Fouts, and Evan Washburn will be the field reporter. A lot of CBS games, uh, this week. And because of the flex for Sunday Night Football this week, uh, not as many people will get a chance to see the Kansas City Chiefs. You got some areas in the Midwest that'll get them, um... 
interestingly enough, you got some uh, some parts of the uh, Northeast region that'll be getting the game. Not exactly sure what leads to that, but hey, nonetheless, uh, you'll see some. Uh... Zach, are you getting the game in New York on CBS? I'll be honest, I have not looked at the map. I ended up biting okay. the bullet and getting Sunday ticket anyway because I got sick of it's, losing it's, Chiefs games to Bills games. <laughs> yeah, you got a lot of New York teams there, especially on the AFC, so I can understand. But it's pretty close in the New York trash. area. Um, it's pretty close, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, the Bills defense is good, offense not so I much. Guess but that's anyway. fair. Yeah, the Bills are actually good. Sorry, just uh, the two. That and then have you got New some York areas. Uh, of course, you know, in and around the Colorado area, because a lot of those uh, states probably have a lot of Broncos fans. So uh, those are the areas getting the game. As far as the injury report, Patrick Mahomes, he is on the injury report, but only for a knee injury. I know he's been dealing with the hand. He says he's been able to grip the ball a little bit better, though. Uh, as far as players who did not practice, you had Frank Clark. He has been dealing with the flu. Obviously, you could not tell Judging by that Patriots game, Bashad Breland did not practice with a hamstring injury. Or, excuse me, uh, Rashad Fenton, I should say. Uh, Bashad Breland not on the injury report, so correction there. But Rashad Fenton, uh, the rookie, did not practice dealing with a hamstring, nor did Morris Claiborne, the cornerback, another cornerback as well. Uh, Look, we've gone over the Broncos before, coached by Vic Vangio and Rick Scandrello, 27th. In points per game, 27th total offense, 29th in passing, 18th in rushing, but... All of that is irrelevant because Drew Locke, former Mizzou quarterback and, of course, from Lee Summit, uh, he's been very hot lately with the Denver Broncos. They've been very good. He's got five touchdowns, two picks. He threw for 309 yards and was 22 of 27 last week against Houston. Uh, had 136 passer rating. And, by the way, fun fact, Andy Reid coached Drew Lockstad when Andy Reid was an assistant coach at Mizzou. So, fun little nugget there. As far as their running backs go... Uh, you got Philip Lindsay, who's averaging more than four yards a carry, four and a half yards per carry to be exact, six touchdowns. Hoyce Freeman, he's got 460 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Royce Freeman, I should say. Uh, again, averaging four yards a carry. So very good rushing attack with Denver. As far as our pass catchers, not a whole lot of notable names here. You got Cortland Sutton leading the team with 59 catches and 940 yards. He got six catches. By the way, he caught both of the touchdown passes that Drew Locke threw the week before against the Chargers. And you got Freeman, uh, the running back, who's second on the team in receptions with 36. And Noah Fant, who did not practice Wednesday, uh, he's got 492 yards, second on the team in receiving yards. And then Philip Lindsay's the next best pass catcher on the team, which doesn't say a whole lot about this uh, passing attack for Denver. As far as their offensive line goes... One thing though, on that Farzine. Yeah, sure. Uh, both Sutton and Fant have, you know, statistically anyway... Stepped up in a pretty big way since Drew Locke started out as the quarterback. So, you know, it's it's weird with the, uh, you know, you look at the stats overall and, you know, it still reflects the Flacco and the, I forget who played in, in between. Uh, but, you know, with Locke in the mix, Someone. I think that everything is thrown, you know, th- th- there's a little bit more, uh, I guess, variation thrown into the mix with Locke coming in. Well, I'll end by saying this. You got an offensive line that I'm sure has helped Drew Locke quite a lot, especially that left side, Garrett Bowles, uh, Reisner, the former K-State guy, the the rookie from K-State, and then you got the center, Connor McGovern. Uh, The left side of the offensive line is very good, and I'm really shocked that on Thursday night when these two teams played, they did not run so much to to the left. And you mentioned Sonny Michelle and James White. They didn't run the ball a whole lot against Kansas City, and Kansas City has not been challenged so much 
on the ground, which has been kind of surprising to me. You saw the Raiders try to do it, and they actually succeeded, but when the game is a blowout, you kind of have to abandon the running game. So to Kansas City's credit, they've been able to avoid being challenged on the ground. I'm curious if the Broncos will do that, DJ, because you've got a really good offensive line on the left side, and you got two really good running backs in Lindsey and Freeman. I'm kind of curious if they try to uh, exploit that. That's got to be their, their game plan in this game. You would think so. And, you know, this is the classic, what they call trap game, right? You know, we just beat uh, the Patriots at Foxborough after a 21-game uh, win streak that they um, lost. So I'm not – maybe I'm naive. I'm not that worried about the game. I'll be there in freezing the cold. Um, but it, 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 they can run the ball, but they're going to have to pass the ball. And a rookie quarterback at Arrowhead – it's going to be a different uh, animal for uh, Drew Locke. Uh, you know, playing the Texans, maybe that was a trap game for them as well. I don't know. I mean, they beat them pretty handedly. Um, and maybe the Texans are fool's gold. They beat us. But I would imagine that the Broncos' game plan, like you said, is going to be to run the ball. I like the way our run defense played last week. I yeah. hope that we can continue to do that, um, assuming that the, we have the same personnel, which I assume that we will have. Uh, but I think Drew Locke, Drew Locke is going to have a little bit of problem, uh, or a lot of problems at uh, Arrowhead, dealing with that crowd, dealing with um, playing there as a rookie uh, quarterback, uh, albeit having you know really good, um, you know, a really good flow with Sutton and Fant uh, last week. I, I think it's going to be a blowout and. Well, well, we'll probably talk about score predictions a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that realistically, that offensive line. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. The right side is is bad, uh, but the left hand side is. You know, I would say you know, Garrett Bowles, especially at the beginning of the year, uh, he was pretty much Cam Irving, which is not a compliment, as you know. No. Um, and you know, one of the things that you know. The Chiefs certainly was were able to get after Flacco in the previous matchup, and I don't see any reason that we're uh, going to slow down now. So I think that it's going to be a rough homecoming for the uh, Kansas City kid in Drew Locke. Uh, you know, Lee Summit, I believe, West grad there, but uh, I think he's going to have a tough time because the Chiefs' defensive line, especially when it comes to a pass rush, uh, I think they're going to give him some give him some problems. And there's not enough weapons on the offense uh specifically from the receiving threats uh to force us into any sort of really uh you know isolated coverages uh to you know kind of get a favorable matchup there so i think that it's going to be a tough tough day for the uh, denver offense unless they're able to get a lot going on the ground you know outside of it sorry to interrupt you for no, go ahead, but- go ahead. Outside of Aaron Rodgers, I don't know that there's been a quarterback that's come to Arrowhead this year and really lit it up. Um, you know, we we had those two back-to-back losses to the Colts and the Texans, but I think a lot of it was shooting ourselves in our own foot rather than any of those quarterbacks going crazy and uh, lighting us up, throwing like, you know, 300 yards, four touchdowns, whatever. So, you know, Derek Carr... You know, this season, uh, I think he has close to, if not over, a hundred quarterback rating, and he came to Arrowhead, and it didn't go very well for him. So, I kind of expect the same thing from Drew Locke. Uh, maybe he'll be a very good player. I'm not taking anything away from the kid, but 
I, I expect that the Chiefs will win this game handedly. You look at the defense for the Broncos, uh, Ed Dantel coaching the defense, 10th in points per game, 12th in total defense, and 6th against the pass, but not really good against the run. And I'm curious how the Chiefs will approach that. Sure, it may be easy to think they'll try to use the run, but hey, you've got Patrick Mahomes, and uh, as, as we'll hear from Joe later on, he'll talk about how, you know, even with the struggles, this is still an offense that needs Patrick Mahomes. So we'll get into that a little later on. But you look at the secondary for the Broncos. you got Justin Simmons of safety. He's got three picks and 13 pass deflections. That puts him in the top 10 in the NFL. Kareem Jackson, uh, he's got two picks and eight pass deflections this year. Returned a fumble for a touchdown last week, 70 yards to help get off to a 14-0 lead. And you got Chris Harris, the former Jayhawk. His stats aren't as good as they were before. He's only got one pick, but still one of the best cover corners in the game today. And as far as the front seven, you got Derek Wolf, who leads the team with seven sacks, but was placed on IR before the Texans game. So your best sacker on the team, uh, not available for you. You got Von Miller with six sacks and nine tackles for a loss. Demarcus Walker, Shelby Harris, some defensive linemen each have four sacks on the year. By the way, interesting name, Jeremiah Atachu, who was with the Chiefs during the preseason. He had two sacks against the Houston Texans. Um, In fact, he actually recovered the fumble that went 70 yards for a touchdown. He actually gave it up to Jackson, allowing him to run all the way to the end zone. So Jeremiah Tachu didn't practice on Wednesday, though, with the Broncos, which is worth noting, uh, or was on the injury report at least. Uh, So Jeremiah Tachu, former chief, now on this defense. And, you know, I, I don't really have a whole lot to say about the defense. I think the stats speak for themselves. This Broncos defense has been good for a long time, and this is nothing really different. Even though they've changed some players over the years, still one of the top-notch defenses in the NFL, Zach. They absolutely are, and it starts, you know, up front with Von Miller. I know that his sack numbers aren't what they've been in years past, but uh, I think that a big part of the reason for that is that historically he's always had, you know, not necessarily the all NFL world beating talent that he is, but they've always had, you know, a solid, you know, call it, you know, out of a scale of one to 10 where Miller would be closer to the 10. They've always had at least, you know, a seven or an eight on the other side from him this year. Not so much. Um, you know, Derek Wolf's done an okay job, um, you know, as his, uh, Demarcus Walker there, but I think that the 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 disruption in the way that you know offenses still have to factor for Von Miller, like realistically, you you have to double him or chip him or something, uh, provided that he's healthy and playing. Uh, you know, really, there's you know you can only really slow him down because stopping him doesn't doesn't work so well, um, and I think that that's part of the reason that uh, you know the secondary has been able to have so much success I mean Chris Harris is still one of the best cover corners in the NFL Kareem Jackson has done uh, fairly well and you know it's a you know it's a team that's had a strong defensive identity for a long time now uh, and they're being led by a strong defensive coach so I, I don't think it'll be easy sledding for the Chiefs offense but I do think that you know their secondary isn't as deep as it once was you know back when they had you know, Bradley Roby was their third corner. I mean, that was, you know, ridiculous levels of depth uh, there at the cornerback position. They don't have that anymore, so I think we might have a little bit easier time than we've had in years past, but uh, still definitely going to be a bit of a challenge for this Chiefs offense. So historically, Mitchell Schwartz has done really well against Von Miller um, for whatever reason. I mean, Mitchell Schwartz is obviously an all-pro um, but he's done pretty good one on one with Von Miller, so that that's a, a matchup to watch again to see if uh, it's as consistent 
as it's usually been in the past. Um, as far as the offense, I, so I wonder if Andy Reid has gotten to the point in his career after you know 20 years as a head coach where he's holding a lot of stuff back and saving it for the playoffs because that's the that's the thing we hear a lot about Belichick is that he saves he doesn't show you everything during a game he saves uh, you know about 30 percent of what he's going to show you later on for the playoffs because he doesn't want you to have the film on it and you haven't seen a lot of um uh what I would say a lot of the trickery or a lot of the you know you haven't seen Tyree Kill in motion a lot uh taking you know jet screens or fake jet screens so i I wonder at this point knowing that it's probably unlikely that we get a buy um a lot has to happen i wonder if it makes sense for us to just keep dialing it down in offense have the defense play well and then reveal a lot of things that nobody has seen on film because we haven't been healthy all year for the playoffs um Interested to see that, and maybe that'll be the the rest of the season, the last three games. You look real quickly at special teams. you got Brandon McManus, 23 of 27. He's only missed one field goal since the Chiefs and Broncos last met, so he's been on a roll lately. Colby Wadman, the punter, not really good, though. Bottom five in the NFL in punt average and net average yards. And then you got Deontay Spencer and Devontae Booker. They've been handling kick return, punt return duties, and they are just about average or maybe below that. So nothing uh, too special there. Look, I'll just say this. I, I, I don't I have not followed the Denver coverage uh, leading up to this game, but I would imagine there is some narrative there. You know, obviously Drew Locke, he's added some excitement, but they beat the team last week that just beat the Patriots. And now there's an opportunity that they can have back to back wins against teams that were coming off wins against the Patriots. So uh, obviously that's not going to help their placement in the AFC West so much. But at the same time, you know, you want to still end on a positive note if you're a Denver Broncos fan. So I'm sure they've got that that kind of narrative going uh, to add some optimism. I mean, that's, that's a pretty exciting thing to have. Now, does that mean the Broncos beat the Patriots head to head, you know, you never know. I, I still would put my money on the Pats, but again, any given Sunday, sure. That's the funny part about the NFL. You know, Team A will beat Team B, B beats C, but C beats A. You know, that's how the that's how sports work sometimes. Uh, math never adds up in in sports. But nonetheless, uh, time for our predictions. Look, I'll go Kansas City on this one. Obviously, uh, I, I I think Drew Locke is going to be able to do some things. I think he'll have some moments where he struggles, but also some moments where he might be able to expose some of the Chiefs' weaknesses on defense and, you know, bring him back a little bit uh, to what it was before this three-game winning streak. But more than not, I, I still think this defense has got to have a good game in the Chiefs. Uh, I definitely expect a better performance on the offensive side. Again, you have to snap out of this funk at some point. I've got the Chiefs winning this one, and I think it's going to be Pretty close at halftime, but the Chiefs will pull away in the second half. I've got them winning this football game, thirty-eight seventeen. Yeah, I think that you know we're on we're on the same page here. Where I think that at least on paper, the Chiefs are certainly uh, a step ahead. By the same token, I think that uh, you know if Denver is smart, they'll be able to run and control the uh, control the clock a little bit. So I'm going to go with thirty-one uh, twenty-one Chiefs. So <clears throat> I I look at this game just like the Week 17 game against the Raiders last year. I I really think it's going to be a blowout. I think, uh, you know, Drew Locke is coming off a great performance. That's awesome. 
good good for him. It's a you know he's obviously a local kid, but um, I, I think he's going to struggle with playing at Arrowhead um, with 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 the environment there. I, I'm saying thirty four yeah. to three. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a blowout. It's going to be hard for them to score. All right, there you have it. Those are our predictions for the Chiefs and Broncos game. Let us know on Facebook, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian, and let us know on Twitter at Farzine21, at ZStegna, and at Chiefs Fanchai. Uh, I do want to get into this story before we read a couple of texts and bring on Joe Valerio. So this did not have a lot of coverage, and I think it's because, you know, the Chiefs had that big win. It, it, it came out over the weekend, if I remember correctly. And the Chiefs had their big win, and so this kind of made... Uh, the story I want to talk about, kind of a long-distant memory, but it has to do with the Chiefs leaving 101 The Fox. Now, I don't remember if they're leaving 101 The Fox uh, for the 2020 season or if that's effective as of January 1st, 2020. Do either of you guys know that by by any chance? I do not. Neither okay. do I. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times with these radio contracts, uh, some contracts might have it by season, some might have it by calendar year so. Uh, I guess we'll find out in less than a month, unless uh, anyone's able to uh, find the specifics on that. But not, not the point I want to make here. The point I want to make, uh, look, I understand more than 30 years the Chiefs were on 101 The Fox, and it's going to be weird hearing Mitch Holtis say 106.5 The Wolf. But, you know, look, either way, you know, the programming is still the same. It's just the station that's changing. So that's really all there is to it. Now, here's the thing. You're going to hear games on 106.5 The Wolf, but the additional uh, Chiefs programming like the Chiefs Kingdom show Mitch Holtis does uh, the day after games that is going to be on 610 Sports Radio and that is massive because not only is 610 taking away programming from 810 they're obviously competitors but 610 already has Kansas City Royals games and I know the Royals aren't great but having 162 baseball games on your radio network that is a pretty big deal. It may not seem like it, even for a bad team, but that's a lot of dollars we're talking about here. Again, maybe the average fan might not care, but networks care about this. Then you have Chiefs programming on your station. That's two of the three pro teams. And look, I, I don't want to bash on soccer. I know, in fact, you know, Kansas City loves soccer. But I'll be honest, I don't know what the radio ratings are for sporting KC games. Um, I know a lot of people love the team and they love to watch and support the team, but I don't know radio coverage-wise how that does. Uh, In fact, the MLS is not considered a major sport. The major four sports are the NBA, NFL, NHL, and MLB. And you only have two of those in Kansas City, and 610 has both of those, which is a big deal. Now, Keith's been whined about it on Twitter saying that, you know, 810 has been so uh, loyal to, to the Chiefs and... Uh, they had a great relationship, which, you know, it's funny hearing Keats when we talk about loyalty, of all <laughs> things. But on top of that, you know, look, uh, you made the comment. We're still seeing, you know, media outlets get backlash for the Tyree Kill coverage. We saw what happened with uh, Channel 5. They no longer have the preseason games. They're no longer the official home of the Chiefs. It's now Channel 41, even though they only get the Sunday night football games. Now they're going to get the preseason games. Again, may not seem like a lot to us. But for the networks, that is a huge, huge deal. I can't emphasize that uh, emphasize that enough. Uh, you know, look, and then Keith's been mentioning Intercom. Uh, listen, money's a part of it too, okay? Um, I'm, again, I'm sure the Chiefs were upset with the coverage, but I'm sure, you know, money played a big role in this as well, you know? Uh, you know, you had 30 years with them, so good for you. Uh, it was a long relationship, and sometimes, 
you know, all good things come to an end. Not everything lasts forever. And now you move on to Intercom and, and you see what kind of relationship you can establish there, a working relationship, and how long you can let that last for. It will be strange to hear that it's, you know, going to be the 106.5 The Wolf instead of 101 The Fox because quite literally my entire life the Chiefs have been on 101 The Fox. So that's going to be that's going to be weird to hear it come out the first time there, you know, which I guess I'll deal with at Christmas time or something next time I'm back in Kansas City because, frankly, from where I'm at right now, doesn't matter at all. But it's so it's so much easier to say one on one the fox too. <laughs> it just runs off the tongue, man. Like I'm sure that Holthus will mess it up once or twice because after you know twenty oh, years calling games, <laughs> it's. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure it won't actually happen because realistically, like he's a professional and he's paid not to make that sort of mistake. But at the same time, like that's going to be a tough habit to break, man. Like oh, for yeah. sure. I mean, you you and I have both done some of those reads before. Like I can't imagine doing. Yep. You know loads of those you know for 20 plus years and then having to quick shift it yeah that's it it, i'm sure he will work through it but that's just yeah i feel a little bad for the guy on that front um but i also kind of feel bad for the crew over at 810 uh simply because i mean don't be wrong i have no love lost for kevin keatsman whatsoever um he was far and away my you know least favorite radio personality in kansas city when i was there and it wasn't particularly close um but I do have to hand one thing to 810, and that's that in you know today's you know, media landscape, it's got to be tough to be the lo- you know hometown local station that isn't you know owned by some outside conglomerate. And I know that's probably ironic coming from the guy who's out in New York City, but at the same time, like you know, I admire what 810 was doing there, and it is kind of a bummer to see it go over to Entercom em- and uh, leave the hometown hometown team, so to speak. Yeah, you guys know more about it. Uh than me having uh both lived in that area but in you know in chicago it's it changes a lot i mean the cubs have been on multiple stations the white Sox have been multiple multiple stations the bull the chicago bulls have been on am and they switched to fm and it's you know so it's a constant um switch for all the teams so yeah i don't know i mean it's, obviously it's all about money and who's willing to pay the most to get those uh teams on their station and uh, I guess six time ponied up. Yeah, and again, you know, money talks, and I think the Tyreek Hill thing that that played a big factor too. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, sometimes you know some stations are just willing to pay more money, uh, or maybe there's an opportunity that the Chiefs saw with Entercom that they didn't think they would see with One on One the Fox, which is owned by Cumulus. I'm always intrigued by these kinds of discussions. I'd love to discuss this more, but I know there's already going to be a long podcast because we're going to get Joe on soon. But let's read a couple of texts before we bring Joe on and then sign off for the episode. Uh, a couple of text messages here again. 913-808-2119. That is the text line. Uh, we'll read a couple of these. Uh, let's go to... Uh, the, this is an interesting t- uh, question here. Out of the 660, what do you think of the play from the defensive line? Uh, you know, I don't have too much to say. Chris Jones seems to often get off to slow starts and then gets going. Like last year, he hardly did anything early on in the first couple of games, and we saw him had that big streak as the season went on. Uh, kind of similar thing this year, where he got off to a slow start and then picked it up. Frank Clark got off to a slower start, but now we're starting to see him play really well. And Zach, you alluded to this earlier, they're gelling at the right time. Absolutely, and I think that, you know, like I alluded to earlier, 
you know, in addition to the you know kind of bigger names that you just mentioned, we're starting to see some consistency out of Derek Naughty, uh, and Colin Saunders is really coming along uh, on the interior side there. But then, uh, you know, on the outside, Tano Passanio has really been making some major strides. So I think yeah. the defensive line has low key turned from a uh, you know point of you know I guess at best uh, a question to arguably a point of strength at this point. Yeah, it's absolutely a strength. I, I was really, really concerned, even though I said <clears throat> from the start, we got to wait until like week five or six, probably like week eight or nine, till we can really judge this defense because of a new scheme, new coordinator, new personnel. But I was worried, um, giving up, you know, what was it, 150 yards rushing per game? That that was scary, and we couldn't stop the run. And, and then the Tennessee game was really, really scary because Derrick Henry just – destroyed our line and our our defense and um but to looking be fair, at the, he is a unique beast he is but he uniquely beats us pretty badly <laughs> the last couple times he's That's played us um From, oh, but we also had different we also had different personnel in that game too like there were guys that we talked about in the previous podcast that were not playing in that game i like the rotation that we have you know you know obviously the the main players Chris Jones, Frank Clark, um, you know, Naughty, and then you add in uh Passanon, uh Pennell, uh Saunders. I, I think and, and and um I can't remember his name. There was somebody that was that I hadn't seen before, um, number fifty two. I don't know if you guys recall him, but he was making some plays in that game as well. Um he was getting some snaps. So we have a, a pretty good um pretty good depth on the line and Okafor played well obviously too I think he got a sack um I'm, I'm really impressed with the defensive line I think we're, we're where we should be my main concern still is with our linebackers I, I think our defensive backfield is really really good and has been for some time so it's the linebackers of course but the line is great you're refer- referring to Damone Harris, by the way. That's yes, the 52. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. who you're referring to there. 913, Tez out of KC. I think our defense is really starting to be consistent. I hope our offense can get into our rhythm and we can get a little more from the run game. Okay, that's interesting. Um, real quickly, Zach, do you think the running game is going to pick up at all this year with the last three games or in the playoffs? I would love to say yes, but with the like uh, with the struggles that I alluded to earlier on the interior of the offensive line, realistically, I, I, I don't, I don't think that the running game is going to get that much better. I mean, we might have, you know, some games where statistically it looks better because, you know, we do have some dynamic running backs. That part's very, very true. Uh, so they very well may break off some large runs that, you know, I mean, it looked, especially, I believe it was the Titans game where Damian Williams ripped off that something like 91 yard run, uh, where Tyreek went running up alongside him, uh, you know that made the team's collective effort look a lot stronger uh, than it realistically was. And I think that you know we might have a couple flashes like that, but uh, for this offense to improve, it's gonna have to be you know Mahomes and friends uh, stepping up and doing what we know they're capable of doing. DJ, do you think the running game picks up at all this year? I I agree with you, Zach. I I don't. Um... And that's that's the thing that worries me most about this offense because I am one of the people that will die on the hill of saying that you need to be able to run the ball and stop the run in the playoffs. It's it's a 
tried and true concept. Um, every year, if you look at the playoffs, you look at the games, the teams that are able to run the ball, stop the run, and win time of possession, win playoff games, the ones that don't lose. Um, you know, Darwin Thompson, I, a lot of people wanted him to be the next Freem Hunt. He's a nice player. I, you know, I've seen, I've, I've watched him. I, maybe he gets there. I, I don't, I, I don't think so. I think he's, he's just a little too small to be that guy. Um, he showed some flashes, mostly in the preseason. Uh, he, he didn't run particularly well against the Patriots. In fact, I would say he ran pretty poorly when he had opportunities. Um, he caught a few passes, but we just, that's, that's our, uh, the question is obviously one of it's is it the personnel is it the offensive line or is it the play calling and yeah. really I, I think the main for to me the main thing is the offensive line I think the line is not um, they're just not able to open up big holes and when you don't have a dynamic running back which we really don't I mean Lashawn McCoy is you know he's older I mean he's not Lashawn McCoy when he was twenty five years old so. When you don't have a dynamic player like a Kareem Hunt, which we're never going to get back, so let's forget that um, possibility. You have to rely on your offensive line to be able to create those holes, but we, we're just I, we're not doing it, and I just don't know that we're going to solve that problem in the next few weeks. So that's it's concerning because you need to be able to run the ball. I mean, that's how you that's how you win playoff games. Last question. I will read uh, Daniel Laforta six two six. Do you think the Chiefs' defense is showing glimpse uh, a glimpses of what the Giants' defense uh, was under Spagnuolo when they won the Super Bowl? You know what's funny? I, and I'll be honest. I don't know if I can answer that because I, I truly can't recall the Giants' defense in the regular season. Obviously, everyone remembers the five sacks in the Super Bowl that year. Uh, but I was listening to Patriots radio coverage right after the game because I was curious to see what their takeaway would be. With the controversy and all, they actually made that comparison. They actually did compare Spagnolo's defense here to what he did with the Giants, interestingly enough. So I guess you're starting to see that Super Bowl defense that Spagnolo once had with New York. Yeah, and I think the biggest piece is, you know, like we alluded to earlier, it's, uh, you know, the ability to generate the pass rush there from the uh, front four and. I think that that was one of the key things that led to that five-sack Super Bowl that you just mentioned. And I think that, you know, we're starting to see that come together here in Kansas City. And, you know, while obviously it's not just the front four there, they're the core part of it. Uh, but then, you know, bringing in stunts from, uh, you know, occasionally from, I think we see it most often from Dirty Dan Sorensen and uh, Tyron Matthew both coming out from the safety position. Uh, I think that this is sort of defense that's going to be tough to go up against in the playoffs, which uh, I know as Chiefs fans we've been able to say it quite a bit historically, but it's nice to be able to say it knowing that we also have an offense that can get the job done. Yeah, and Spagnola made his bread and butter and got a head coaching job based on what he did with the Giants against the Patriots. And what were what was the consistent thing with those two Super Bowl wins? The ability for the defensive line to create pressure on their own without even having to blitz. Um, and you saw a lot of that on Sunday. So I guess what I'm saying is maybe Spagnola needs to just play against the Patriots every week. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, if you have a text you want to send in, 913-808-2119. 
Joining us right now on the Chiefs Zone Podcast, as promised, former Chiefs offensive lineman. You may remember him. Four memorable moments, those four touchdown receptions he caught. Yes, before Jared Allen did it as a defender checking in as an eligible receiver, Mike Vrabel. Joe Valerio is doing it. He is part of the Believe Chiefs Podcast Network, hosted by Jeff Pettiton. And he has generous to give us a few minutes of his time here on the podcast. Joe Valerio. Joe, thanks for taking some time to be with us. How are you, man? Oh, Farzine, I'm doing great. Uh, uh, it's a fantastic week. It's Broncos week, which, you know, kind of when I was with the Chiefs in the 90s, you know, we slowly moved away from Raider week to Bronco week. So this is a big rivalry. It's a great AFC matchup, and uh, it's exciting for the entire Chiefs nation to, uh, to be getting ready to have the Broncos come into Arrowhead. Yeah. I'm really excited about this week. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And we'll talk a little bit about the team right now coming off that big win in Foxborough. We also want to talk a little bit about your playing days with the Kansas City Chiefs. But before we get into that, uh, we, we haven't heard a whole lot from you. I know the Kansas City Chiefs did a Where Are They Now segment with you at one point. But outside of that, I don't think we've heard a whole lot from you. How have you been? What are you doing nowadays? Sure. Yeah, no, I've kept a pretty low profile back here in Philadelphia. My wife and I went to high school together, and uh, we both went to college locally here in the Philadelphia area. Our entire family and support network was is here in the Philadelphia region. And my wife uh, got pregnant with triplets in my last season with Kansas City. So, you know, we decided that um, when when I was uh, no longer playing with the Chiefs, we decided to come back to Philadelphia and be be involved in that support group, right? With having triplet uh, newborns, uh, it only made sense for us to, you know, go from, um, you know, from, we didn't go to man-to-man defense. We had to go right to zone, <laughs> and uh, we, we needed all the help we could get. So, but I, I, I say this, and not just because I'm talking with some Chiefs fans, and I've been doing the Believe in Chiefs podcast. You know, Kansas City is absolutely a place my wife and I would have settled had we not both been from the same hometown and had triplets. Like we loved our time there. It, it is the most fantastic place. Love the people, love the community, you know, love the sports scene and uh we we dearly miss it. But I've been back in the uh Philadelphia area, my wife's school teacher and she did teach when she was in Kansas. And um I uh I've been, been in the insurance brokerage industry for the last 22 years and uh coaching some high school football and uh getting a chance to uh to be an active part of my uh my daughter's uh life growing up so it's been a been a great uh great time being back in Philadelphia but we certainly miss uh Kansas City something fierce Now that's great to hear and uh you know as a you know I guess now recent transplant from the KC area I can definitely uh you know relate a little bit to uh you know really just missing uh, you know, just kind of the vibe there. Now, I guess for me, it was home, so it's a little different, but definitely understand uh, where you're coming from there. And I guess, you know, you alluded to this kind of early on, you know, with it being Bronco week. So I had another question prep, but I'm going to go ahead and pivot anyway. I'm curious, you know, could you tell us what that was really like, you know, prepping for Raider week and Bronco week under Marty of all people? Well, you know, Marty, Marty had, had a saying for everything and, you know, one of the things that he always said to us was, you know, the more you bleed, um, the more you sweat during the off season, the less you bleed in season. And Marty was all about preparation, right? He was all about never just thinking you could throw your helmet out there, no matter how good or bad the team you were playing. Um, you couldn't just throw your helmet out there and win a game. You had to prepare. 
And that was one lesson I took with me into my life professionally, as you know, with my family. Everything I do, I try to do to be prepared and over prepare. Uh, and that's something that Marty did uh, exceptionally well with with both facing the Broncos uh, and the Raiders, those two really pivotal, you know, AFC West uh, divisional opponents. And obviously, we had some great battles with the Chargers and the Seahawks too. They were, I think, during the nineties when I was playing. In Kansas City, I think the AFC West was a fantastic division, uh, full of parity, you know, full of great rivalries, uh, great players, great talent. So, you know, that's what Marty did. He got us ready by by preparing and getting us excited, getting us emotionally excited to play those teams, knowing what was on the line. You know, when you play those teams, uh, each of them twice a year. No, that makes makes tons of sense. You alluded to the fact that you know you did get to play during one of the most arguably you know exciting times as a Chiefs fan uh, or as certainly as a Chief as well uh, and I guess I'm curious you know given that you did get to play during you know the Marty Ball era which we now of course look back on very fondly uh, and you you got to share a locker room with a few Hall of Famers I'm curious you know of your former teammates who had the biggest impact on you as a pro and then also just on your life in general well, you know, it, it comes in a lot of different varieties, right? The, the impacts that you have. I had so many great role models as a young player. That that offensive line, you know, John Alt uh, took me under his wing. He was my roommate on the road. Um, you know, was, he was an experienced lineman. You know, great guy, family guy, just all around great citizen. And 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 he was a guy that really taught me, you know, the ropes. I mean, professionally, you can't deny that Joe Montana brought a certain level of success and and just you know just an overarching you know glamour to what we were doing in kansas city at that point right we were a smash mouth team funny story alex gibbs our offensive line coach in 1993 comes aboard we put in the west coast offense and joe and marcus join us and we were we were at uh, river falls wisconsin for training camp and you know we would get a couple hundred people to a practice but the day that Joe Montana and Marcus Allen arrived, we, our first day of, uh, of practice, we were just in helmets and shirts. We weren't even wearing pads. And we turned the corner around from the facility where we were dressing, and we come out, and I hear this incredible din of a crowd. I'm like, it's like, Rawr! you could hear the roar. And you're like, what is going on? Turn around the corner and packed into this Division Three football stadium is 5,000 standing room only fans. So, you know, we go from 100 people in the stands to 5,000 at training camp. And Alex Gibbs, our offensive line coach, in his fantastic North Carolina accent, stops us and says, hey, boys, boys, take a look at all the crowd up there. He goes, let me tell you one thing. you got to remember this. They ain't here to see you. <laughs> so, <laughs> and all the offensive linemen just started laughing. And then, and then as we're walking up, he goes, I just want to let you guys know one more thing. He goes, your job just got a whole lot more important. Now let's go have a good practice. So, you know, he just kind of made us realize that things had changed and they did. And, and Joe Montana was always prepared. You know, he was, he was a, a leader by example, first guy at the stadium, last guy to leave. And, and I, I, I've learned lessons from him that I've taken with me, you know, ever since the day that I met him back in 1993. You had four targets, four catches for four touchdowns, which is pretty efficient, I would say. Pretty efficient, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and I think three of, three of them were from, uh, I think, uh, Joe Montana. Uh, what was it like uh, playing with him? I, you know, you always hear these stories about, you know, him uh, being a prankster in the locker room. And also saying stuff in the huddle. Uh, any any 
stories that stand out uh, for you? He's the he's the reason why I ended up scoring touchdowns flat out, not because he just threw me the balls that you know that I caught in the games. You know, I was always kind of you know, look, I was a backup. I started you know a few games, you know, part of you know a couple seasons, and you know I was I was a, a spot player and. But I was always that third tight end that would come in in the goal line and short yardage, even even in my rookie and, and, and second year. And then Joe gets there in 1993, and we always had this play in where I would go stand like five yards into the end zone and almost act like a screen, right? Um, no one ever dreamed about throwing it to me, except one day we're out of practice, and we had this goal line play in, and I go and do my obligatory stand in the end zone and, you know, let – the Keith Cashes of the world and the Willie Davises and the JJ Burden screen off of me in, in the end zone. But one day, Joe was just staring at me, pumping the ball, pumping the ball, and he's looking at me and he makes eye contact with me. And I'm kind of like, oh, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Like, JJ's wide open over there. You know, uh, Keith Cash is, uh, you know, he's got nobody covering him. Throw it over there. And next thing you know, he fires the ball at me. And, and I know, I know exactly what he was doing. You know, he, he was, he was going to try to make the big guy look, look silly, you know, cause I could barely get my arms up to my shoulders, right? I had these big lineman pads on and I got big gloves on and nobody ever thought about throwing me the ball. And he guns the thing at me. And yeah, oh, look. He, he didn't have a great arm, but he was still an NFL quarterback, right? And just because he didn't throw the ball deep a whole lot in his career didn't mean he didn't a great arm. And he fired that thing at me, and I stuck my hands up, and I actually caught it. And at that point, I didn't know what to do with it. And I'm like, oh, my God, do I spike it? You know, it was practice. Like, I, didn't, like I, I hadn't touched the ball since I recovered a fumble in, like, eighth grade. And... um you know, he, he basically, you know, comes running over. Paul Hackett comes running over and they're like, Hey, Joe, oh my God, you can catch. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that's what this ball is. I don't know, you know, and, 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 you know, Paul Hackett says, you know, you're going to score a touchdown this year. And I said, wow, this West Coast offense really does open things up. And it was a lesson in the West Coast offense for sure that if you had Lyman outscoring, but you know, that was Joe, you know, he was, he, we turned a, 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 semi prank right of make the make the big clumsy lineman uh you know make him look foolish and he catches it and next thing you know you know i become his most efficient receiver crazy turn of events uh, <laughs> that happened that's what's funny is i i you know espn2 did a profile of you i think in the late 90s and they uh um had joe montana uh with his quote he said he catches pretty well for a lineman he has good hands, so that actually kind of dovetails into what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, he just started, and then we just started like goofing around with it, he, you know. And then, and then I actually, you know, for a long time became like a backup tight end, and until I got hurt in 1996, there was um, there was actually talk um, with the Chiefs, you know, uh, coaches that I was going to possibly change my number and move move to tight end. Um, oh wow! You know, and uh, you know, and then I got, and then I hurt my back and. You know, things got worse from there and then, and ended up getting let go. But, you know, it was, um, that was, that would have been a dream to do that. But, but yeah, he, he would throw the ball to me. We, we'd go out and, and, and I would, uh, I'd go practice with the tight ends when there was injuries. And, you know, we had, uh, you know, we'd always, always tried to keep three healthy tight ends. But if somebody got hurt, rather than having to go pick up another tight end, I would always just go. And, um, I remember playing, I think the most snaps I ever got at tight end, I, I probably got about 25 snaps in at tight end. Um, I got really tired of reporting eligible every time, and uh, that, that got to be real tiresome. I think the official was like getting tired of it too. Like, dude, just change your number. Like, what are you doing? Um, 
And uh, so, you know, so there were games where I would, you know, play, you know, a lot of tight end. I actually started a game as a tight end um, in a two tight end set. So, you know, look, when you when you go to Penn and you're blocking Biff McNutty from Harvard, uh, you know, the year before, and then you're going against Redby White and Howie Long, I, I didn't have the pedigree to dictate where I was going to play. I was happy to see my name on the locker. Um, I was happy to be out there and do whatever the coaches asked me to do. Um, if they would ask me to switch the defensive back, I would have switched the defensive back, you know. Um, I just, um, I love being a part of the Chiefs organization. So I, I would have done anything they asked me to. But, but catching touchdowns was actually, uh, was, was, was a pretty cool job. And, and one of those touchdowns was one of the, what I would say is greatest games in Chiefs history was the, uh, Monday night football game at Mile High Stadium, 1994. Any any stories that come to mind from that game? It was so crazy. I rem- I remember watching that game and uh, before the final drive, the the uh, broadcast was actually shaking, and they said it was because it was so loud there. And yeah, next to Arrowhead, you know that place was 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 the loudest stadium I had been in in, in my six year career. I mean, it was you know they got up for their Broncos, and um, yeah, that 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 was you know the funny thing about that touchdown in that game, you know, that was not a typical tackle eligible um, touchdown, like where I was standing flat footed in the end zone, staring straight at Joe, you know, backing up like, you know, the other touchdowns I caught, you know, I was just kind of like, you know, standing there wide open with nobody around me. And, and in that game, you know, we put in this play um, because I think they were, you know, hoping, you know, if I went in that I would draw, you know, at least a look, right. Cause you gotta, you gotta at least, burn a couple of reps during the week if you got you know this tackle eligible thing so we got down on the goal line so they put me in on the left side and it was i was literally the fourth receiver like there was i was not supposed to be even a i was a triple afterthought for joe at that point and you know um the back coming out of the backfield uh kimball it was kimball anders he got tied up um, Keith Cash got tied up. He was, he was playing H back. Derek Walker, who was the other tight end, was crossing in the back of the end zone. He was wide open. But what happened was, just as he came into Joe's vision, he went in front of the official who was in the back. And I don't know whether that threw Joe's eyes off or if it, cause if you watch Joe's progression, if you watch that video, you'll see Joe look right. He, he's no receivers over to the right. Cause everybody's either falling down or getting caught up. And then he goes to, to Derek and he can't see Derek for some really strange reason because he went, he went in front of the official and something must have blinded him. And next thing you know, my job was really to just block, block, block. And then if all was worth, it was almost like I was, you know, kind of like when a, when a, when a running back blocks and then kind of arcs out. I was just doing it at the line. I was the, literally in case Joe was scrambling or if there was a fumble or something. And all of a sudden I look over my left shoulder and here comes the ball. And I'm like, Oh my God, how am I going to catch this thing over my shoulder? Like <laughs> it's been, you know, since little league, since I've, I've caught a pass like this and Joe threw a perfect ball. I mean, he literally couldn't have thrown it any better. The funniest thing about it is I was standing on like the four yard line at that point. I didn't know what to do. 
I dove in from the four yard line because like, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm out. Of, what if I run out of bounds? Or like, what if somebody hits me? I'm not going to be able to hold on to the ball." So I like dove in, and then of course, you know, my wife was like, "I can't believe you did the nasty plunge on Monday Night Football." But um, that was I was definitely going old school on that one um, with a little bit of the celebration. But like to hear Al Michaels say your name like was like a dream come true i i it was so surreal and then al saunders who was you know the associate head coach and coaching the receivers at the time he comes i'm running off the field he goes i'm gonna tell you joe he goes you can join my receiver core anytime i said well coach i'm gonna have to join the wide receiver core because <laughs> i don't i don't look like those guys for sure um they're they're definitely uh, you, those guys get clocked on a stopwatch you clock me on a calendar when i'm on the 40 <laughs> i know there are these I know there are these websites like Pro Football Focus and several others. I mean, you got to pay to see some of their premium statistics. I'm sure this information is out there somewhere, but by any chance, do you know, do you have like the record for most touchdown receptions by an offensive lineman in NFL history? Do you know this? It still, it still holds. Yeah. It's, uh, it's still a record. Um, and, um, you know, Mike Vrabel crushed, you know, anything from a non, I think, I think, doesn't he have like 13 or something? I mean, he's, you know, I think insane, so. But, yeah, but you know he, you know he's he's a different caliber athlete than I, you know, I ever will be. But um, yeah, it still it still holds for for actual offensive linemen. Uh, still still holds as as uh, as part of the record book. So you're right; it could be out there deep in the some archive uh, uh, of statistics. But you know, it's pretty pretty amazing. I, you know, like it was like I lived every lineman's dream, right? And hey, I paid for it. Believe me, we used to have a fine board. In the, in the Chiefs offensive line, uh, room. And, you know, when you got your name in the paper, you had to put money in the kitty and, you know, you had to take people out to dinner if you, if you scored, you know, and, and I just, I treated a lot of dinners, uh, during that time, uh, getting, getting that notoriety for, for being a lineman that, uh, was kind of breaking out of the mold a little bit. Former Chiefs Wait, offense. They still made you, sorry, sorry to jump in there, Fars. No, go they ahead. actually made you pay up for these sorts of things. Like, I, you know, I get, you know, as a former lineman, I understand you. Know, you don't want to get mentioned because normally, as an old lineman, if you get mentioned, it's because of a hold or a penalty or something ridiculous like that. But they actually made you pay up for scoring a touchdown. That seems backwards to me. Major, major fine, major fine. Wow, because uh, it just <laughs> That's went against it went, it went against the the you know what we would call the the oath of the fools, right? The fraternal order of offensive linemen was to, to, <laughs> to, to get any kind of notoriety. Right. So yeah, it was, uh, I remember coming home and telling my dad who was, uh, my dad was a professional boxer and, and he, he knew football, but he, he, he was, you know, not like super knowledgeable about the game. And I remember coming home one day and telling him, uh, about, you know, the fact that I was going to be playing offensive line. And he said, I said, he said, that's great, son. And I said, well, dad, uh, when, when am I going to get my name in the paper? He said, uh, when you, um, get a penalty on fourth down and cost them a touchdown. Oh, I was man. like, oh, great. And I said, well, dad, when am I, you know, when am I going to get my name on the loudspeaker? Because when you get a holding call, <laughs> and I said, oh, geez. And then I mentioned the captain, the cheerleaders. He said, son, the, the cheerleaders don't let date linemen. So, you know, I was like, <laughs> oh, man, I'm, I'm up, I'm up against it now. Uh, you know, but it was a great run. I, I would not want to play any other position when I look back on, on the lessons that I learned playing offensive line, um, you know, about, uh, you know, really finding joy and helping other people score touchdowns. It's been a, been a great, uh, great teacher for me my whole life professionally, for sure. 
Joe Valerio, former Chiefs offensive lineman, also spent a season with the St. Louis Rams. You can listen to him on the Chiefs Believe Podcast Network. Uh, one last question I wanted to ask uh, during your playing career, and not about you know on the field, actually off the field. I know um, you know the great late uh, Stuart Scott. He uh, did a feature on you, and they talked about how you were during your playing years. You were interning with KMBC. Um, first of all, did was Len Dawson there? Because if he was, you were working with both Joe Montana and Len Dawson at the same time, which I don't know if anyone gets to say that they got to do that. It was amazing. I, I did an internship there, and the internship actually led to two years of uh, guest uh, sports anchoring for KMPC. I did I did the 6 and 10 o'clock news um, for two seasons when Len would go to New York to shoot the HBO special with Nick Bonaconti. You had to remember they had the uh, Inside the NFL. Oh, HBO. yeah. Yeah. And so I would go in and I would actually um, do the six and the 10 o'clock, which was oh, what a treat that was um, to to follow in the footsteps of Len. I, you know, I thought about a career in journalism. I did a little bit of hosting of a radio show. Uh, I did a two year uh, stint as a, a post game radio host with um, with KCFX. And, you know, that was a real treat. And I thought about a career. And I tell you, guys, it's it's not it's not. um you know, when I was faced with having three one-year-olds at home, and I was making the transition to to uh, to getting back, uh, you know, getting out of football, you know, it was it was just, you know, it, it's t- it's a tough life. Everybody thinks it's very uh, sexy and romantic and glamorous, and uh, you know, it, it's it's a lot of time away from family. Uh, it's it's a lot of time working what I would call second shift. You know, you, you go in at three o'clock in the afternoon and you get home at midnight, especially in a city like Philadelphia where you've got four major pro teams you've got some semi-pro stuff you've got a lot of colleges you've got a big high school scene you know it's a big city and to come back here in philly and do it it would have been um it would have been a really tough tough row uh to hoe uh to try to make uh to make a man make go a go of it so yeah i i but i did get a chance to do that with len and i'll tell you the stories he shared with me and some of the lessons he taught me about life I mean, I feel so lucky and fortunate to have been around two of the best, uh, not just quarterbacks, but just but best Chiefs ever, for sure. That is really cool. Uh, yeah, no, I can certainly relate with the journalism thing. I did that for a little bit, and, and you know, it was a fun run for me. And uh, I'm doing the podcast. That's good enough for me personally, yeah, to be yeah, honest. You know, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, maybe now second career, you know, with my, my daughter's empty nest. My daughters are all college graduates now, so we'll, we'll see what the future holds if, if, uh, if the insurance, uh, industry can, can, uh, you know, keep my, um, keep me in it. But, uh, you know, it's, um, it is definitely a, it's definitely a thing. I have a lot of, a lot, a lot of respect for the people who, who make a career because they do such a great job presenting, uh, you know, so much great information that's out there now and so many, so many ways to present it. Right. And, um, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a, an admirable thing for people who can, can be successful in that business for sure. What are your thoughts on this offense? Because, you know, we've all been so obsessed with Patrick Mahomes and everything that he has done so far, uh, in his short amount of time with Kansas City, but lately he's, he's kind of been in this weird funk, as has the rest of the offense. And I know in Wednesday's press conference, he, he took, uh, he, he took the blame for it. He said, Hey, look, it starts with me. As a former offensive player, uh, what do you make of what's going on in the last three games with Kansas City? I mean, they're, they're winning, but not in the most ideal way. Uh, what do you have to say about that? 
Yeah, I'm, you know, look, look, we, regardless of whether he feels like he's in a funk or, or the fans think he's in a funk, we're not, we're not winning without Patrick. I, I, you know, our running game is, is, is not there. Um, with the, between the injuries and I think, you know, look, I look growing up here in, in Philly and being an Eagles fan and, and watching Shady for a lot of his career, uh, here in Philly. I'm a huge fan of his. I, I, you know, I think he's a fantastic player. I think they've got the nice young talent coming, but they don't, they don't have a running game that is going to be able to, to sustain a run through the playoffs if they don't have the magic of Pat Mahomes. I mean, it's just let's be honest. He's got to stay healthy. Um, you know, I, I know that if, you know, if he were to get hurt, I know we've got a receiving core that can still get it done. And I love what, what, what Eric Bianami and, and Coach Reed are doing with this offense as far as using their speed to beat teams both vertically and horizontally. They're, they're, they're putting in some patterns where I'm watching, you know, Tyreek Hill, uh, watching Watkins. I'm watching, you know, Harmon. They're, they're using their speed not only to beat you know, uh, defensive backs for the long plays down the field. They're beating, they're beating the zones and they're beating the man to man across the field, which is really exciting. Cause what that's doing is that's opening up a ton of scenes for Travis. Um, and they're using him in some ways that are, are unique, right? They're screening him. They put him in the wildcat, right? I mean, a little, little trickery for the Patriots. I think, I think this offense without Pat though, I think, the magic of him and his ability to get to move in and out of the pocket, to throw off of his back foot, throw on the run—it just—it's got to be a nightmare for for opposing defensive coordinators. So, all in all, I guess to sum up a, a, a long—it was a long answer to a relatively short question. You know, I think without Pat, I, I don't think this offense goes very far. I don't—I don't think they have the running game right now established. The line is really coming together though and i'm really proud of what uh coach heck is doing up front with the line now that they've all been healthy the problem with it guys is you know when you watch the team through the first you know four or five six weeks number one they weren't all healthy but number two is you know september has become the new preseason and you know the, you watch the whole nfl you know you watch what a lot of the, i think the broncos fell into that trap where the first four weeks of the season, they look horrible because they, they just people hadn't played together. Um, and and I think once this offensive line establishes itself, if if they can get a running back, you know, for the future. I know this is more about this year and, and it's about the Broncos this week, but just thinking a little bit long term, future term, I think they they need you know they need a running back where um, somebody's going to be able to pound the ball. And take some of the pressure off of Pat. I, I think that's really needs to be the big move for the Chiefs, in, in my, you know, my humble opinion. Before we let you go, last question uh, for you, Joe. Uh, I, I think out of any Chiefs fan, uh, you probably know a lot about Andy Reid uh, better than anyone else because you were there in Philadelphia for his entire career, and now you're you're seeing him in Kansas City. Now there have been so many people who have been critical of Andy Reid, and I'll be honest, I've recently become one of them. That Titans game really rubbed me off the wrong way, and I've come to the conclusion: look, I can understand why so many of his long term. Uh, Critics, uh, especially a lot of Eagles fans, are saying he'll never win a championship. Uh, he's come so close. He wins a lot in the regular season, but in the postseason, there are a lot of heartbreaks. And, you know, as a head coach, uh, he's got to take some responsibility there. What is your big takeaway with Andy Reid? And do you think he'll be able to prove these critics wrong one day and, and, and get a Super Bowl ring? 
Well, I think, you know, I you got to look at it from a numbers game, right? And I know, I, I know it's easy. It, it's not, well, it's not easy to be critical, but it, 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 it's, it's the path of bleach resistance, right? When a team, you know, doesn't make it to the Super Bowl and doesn't win a Super Bowl. I mean, there are 32 exceptionally talented head football coaches out there. There are thousands of players that are striving and fighting to get to that big game each and every year. And it's, it's hard. It's hard. You know, Marty used to tell us all the time, the fit gets really tight at the top. You know, he needs to talk about the pyramid of success all the time and how, you know, anybody can be at the bottom. You can walk into a situation and be at the bottom of the pyramid. But man, when you start fighting your way to the top, it gets really tight up there and, it's, it's something special to be able to make it to the next game. And, and look, you know, people had that knock about Marty, you know, he, 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 both in his time in Cleveland and his time in Kansas City. I don't think he got enough of a shot anywhere else to, to really make, uh, to make a go of it. But, you know, but you look at the memories and the things that, that coaches like this bring to a, to a, to a city. Um, I, I, I don't know whether it's just my, putting my player hat on and, and being maybe partial to somebody like a coach Reed. I, I had lunch with coach Reed, like the first week he was, uh, he was here in, in Philadelphia, um, a bunch of, uh, Eagles alumni that I was friendly with, um, got, got together and, and wanted to greet coach Reed. And I actually joined them and, and we had lunch with him at a local little pub, uh, right, not too far from my house. And, and, you know, he's a great guy. He, he's, he, he made a great run of it in Philly. You know, he got to the big game, didn't win it. Um, you know, he's taken the team pretty darn far. You know, last year we were an overtime play away from, you know, going to the Super Bowl and that, you know, you're fighting against 32 other teams. And if you can put out a great product year in and year out, um, I, I, I don't know what's wrong with that sometimes because I know everybody wants to win the big one and it's all that matters. Clark Hunt even said, I heard his interview, you know, this year about how, you know, anything, other than getting to and winning this, the Super Bowl is is going to be a disappointment, um, you know, for the family and for the organization, and, and I get that. But it's you know, you know, I look back on 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 the rough times that come after a coach like that leaves, and teams would probably say, hmm, "I really at least at least we could have a winning season." You know, I mean, when I think about Marty leaving Cleveland um, after you know after he got fired in Cleveland and, and after not making the Super Bowl and you look at what happened to the Browns organization for years and years after what would you rather have you know would you rather have 10 years of utter just horrible football or would you rather have the one Super Bowl um, and I guess that's like a personal preference I guess for for some fans so um, you know I, I know I'm, I'm I'm playing the the former player thing and kind of skirting your question no for sure I, I appreciate that actually but you know, I, I just have a little bit of a different take on it and think, you know, he's a guy that has brought a lot of lot of excitement to the city. He's brought, you know, four AFC championship games or four AFC West champion uh, you know, hats. And um, you know, I, you know I know he's doing everything he can to to put this organization together to to get there and win one for, for the Hunt family. I know I know that's important. I know it's important to him. Before you go, Joe, is there any way fans can follow you on social media, interact with you? Are, are you on any of the social media websites? Yeah, sure. I'm on. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's at Joe Valerio seventy three. Um, Instagram at Joe Valerio seventy three. 
Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just, just joined Instagram not too long ago when I did a little Instagram story with Eric Stone Street, which was like one of my biggest thrills. I've that is awesome. My, daughter, my <laughs> daughters actually, uh, think I'm a cool dad now, uh, you know, and because that, that I, uh, actually did a, an Instagram story with Eric Stone Street, uh, about the, um, about the picture he he was in a um he was in a picture of me scoring a touchdown i had my arms up and he was actually in the picture behind me he was only 22 years old and and he sent me a message and he said i just need you to know i'm in that picture with you and i was like holy crap it's like this is eric stillstreet he's like instant messaging me what the heck is going on here and then we did we did this instagram story and it was really fun so i'm on instagram and on Twitter, and then we have the Believe uh, in Chiefs podcast, and um, you know, so yeah, so that's a, that's probably an easy uh, easy way for for uh, fans to connect. I, I love connecting with people. Kansas City, unbelievable place to live. Incredible people. Uh, miss it dearly, and um, you know, I'm, I'm super excited about about this season and, and where the organization's going for sure. Well, if you want to listen to the Chiefs Believe podcast, you can basically find it anywhere where you find this podcast. So go check that out. Go follow Joe on social media. Joe, thank you so much. I know we went over with you on time, but hey, we'd love to come. We'd love to have you back. Please come back. Any anytime, guys. Have a great you know. Go Chiefs. Beat the Broncos. And uh, you know, thanks for having me on. It was a blast. All right. Have a good Christmas. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, Joe. All right, Joe. There you have it. That is Joe Valerio joining us here on the Chief Zone Podcast. Big thanks to him. A lot of interesting things talking to Joe. Had a lot of fun talking to him. Uh, we'll have him back sometime. And in the meantime, follow him on Twitter, as he mentioned, Joe Valerio73, and on Instagram as well. And listen to him on the Chiefs Believe Podcast Network. We're going to sign off here. Big thanks to Zach and DJ for all of their hard work for this episode. Facebook.com slash Farzy Vasugan. That is me on Facebook. Interact with me on there. Follow me at Farzy21 on Twitter, at ZStegna for Zach, and at ChiefsFanChai for DJ913-808-2119. Subscribe to the podcast, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean. You can listen to the podcast on there. And same thing for the Chiefs Believe Podcast Network with Joe Valerio on there. So check that out as well. Big thanks to you guys for downloading and listening to this episode. Enjoy the games this weekend. Three games left. It's the home stretch. Chiefs in the playoffs, but still a lot of work to be done. And we'll be back here next week to recap the game against the Broncos. And then it seems like the Chiefs are going to keep that Sunday night slot against the Bears. So we'll be previewing that game as well next week. I'm Farzee Vasugian. Have a good weekend.